0: Uh, finishing up a message series today on how to overcome some of life challenges. And we've talked about how to overcome when you're overwhelmed, how to overcome when you're downhearted. And today we're talking about how to overcome when you're outmatched. And uh, when you feel kind of underqualified or afraid that you just don't have what it takes for the task, And this is something that we all deal with at some point in our life. Most of us at some time or another have had those feelings of inadequacy. Uh, Some of you may have people in your lives who kind of on a regular basis make you feel like you just don't measure up. And I think that every mom has those moments when you wish there was an instruction manual, you know. uh, You've come up against some kind of a parenting challenge and you just feel outmatched by maybe an obstinate child or um, maybe you have a special needs child and feel under equipped for dealing with that or you're trying to um, raise kids in a blended family and you feel kind of outmatched by the step parent or the biological parent and you've got all these dynamics that can go into um, these things and This morning we're going to talk about what the Bible says about how to overcome when you're outmatched. And you know, we all have an enemy who wants us to feel less than able to do the things that God calls us to do. And the Bible says that in Christ we are more than able. We can overcome when we're outmatched. And uh, because it's Mother's Day, I wanted to kind of gear this towards mothers by picking a scripture That's a story about a mom who felt outmatched, but the principles that we're going to talk about today, the steps that you need to take to overcome when you're outmatched are applied to everybody. So go ahead and pull out your message notes and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. And just prior to this story that we're going to read is another story that kind of plays into this, and you got to kind of know the backdrop in order for this story to make sense, but... The previous story was about twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was born holding on to the heel of his twin brother, and his mother named him Jacob, which means grasp the heel, or one who deceives. And the writer of the book of Genesis doesn't include that casually. He includes it because it's integral to the story. He already knows Jacob's life, and so he wants to give us a clue right at the beginning of what's coming. And uh, as an adult, then, Jacob tricks his brother Esau out of his birthright. And then he conspires with his mother to uh, deceive his father and steal his brother's blessing, which was very important. Uh, When the father was getting ready to pass away, they would always bless the oldest son. and, And Jacob tricked his father. And as you might imagine, that didn't go very well with his brother Esau, and he threatened to kill him. So in order to preserve his life, his mother said, let's, let's send Jacob to our homeland to find a wife. Uh, you know, these Canaanite women are driving me crazy. I don't want him to marry one of them. Let's send him back to our homeland in Haran. So uh, that's where we pick up here in chapter 29. Ja- Jacob's left a very angry brother behind. He makes this long trip and, um, to Haran, and he arrives at a well. And when he arrives, he meets some shepherds there uh, who have brought their sheep uh, to be watered. And that's where we're picking up the story. He says, While he was talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was their shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel's daughter, uh, saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and he rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and she told her father. So Jacob's made this long trip and then the first person uh, that he meets really is uh his cousin. And um so Rachel brings her back, brings her father back and Laban greets Jacob warmly and welcomes him into uh, his home, and he stays there. He's been there about a month, and so Laban says to him, you know, it's not right that just because we're relatives that I take advantage of you in this way by having you work for free. Just name your uh, price. What is it that you would like to receive in exchange for your labor? Well, Laban had two daughters. The oldest one was Leah. And it says in the scripture that Leah had weak eyes. That's how she's described. Uh, another translation says beautiful eyes. So we're not really sure what, what that meant. But it goes on to say that Rachel was beautiful of form and face. So pretty clear there. So uh, Jacob was in love with Rachel. But Jacob has come to this country with just a walking stick. And in that culture, there was supposed to be a bride price, and the father would collect this money, and then he would save it and keep it in case something happened to the husband or the husband divorced the daughter. Then he would have this money that would take care of the daughter. Jacob doesn't have any of that. He's just got this stick. And so he says, I'll tell you what, I'll work for you for seven years in exchange for your daughter, Rachel. Rachel. So they strike this contract. That's the deal. And the text says that uh, Jacob worked these seven years and it seemed like a day. When the seven years are up, he goes to Laban and he says, you know, um, okay, the seven years are up. I want my wife. Laban says, great, fine. But Jacob is about to uh, discover a whole new level of deception. On his wedding night, he's there in his tent and Uh, In comes, wrapped in a veil, silent in darkness. Laban sends in his oldest daughter, Leah, in place of Rachel. So in the morning, Jacob wakes up. He's probably wondering who fixes the coffee in this family and (laughs) rolls over to ask Rachel if she likes her eggs scrambled or easy over and uh, gets a surprise. The sun is up, and we read these words in verse 25. When morning came, There was Leah. (laughs) You kind of wonder what kind of party they had before they almost met. Uh, So, of course, Jacob is very angry. He's probably remembering those 2,555 nights, watching the sheep, thinking about marrying Rachel, and now what? But Laban has a proposal for Jacob. He suggests that Jacob fulfill his wedding week with this new bride, and uh, Leah, and then he'll give them, him Rachel as well, on the condition that Jacob agrees to work another seven years for uh, Rachel. So what's a guy to do? He's in love, so he makes this new contract with Laban, and one week later he's allowed to marry Rachel. So Jacob now has two wives, which is kind of hard for us to, you know, our minds. And they're his cousins, which, you know, to boot. So, uh, but he has one wife that he loves and a second wife that's unloved. Uh, Genesis 29.30 says, His love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. So they're kind of all caught in these circumstances that are not of their own choosing. But Leah is definitely the underdog here. Jacob loves Rachel, and uh, she's kind of left on the outside, you know, hanging around the tent, feeling awkward and and brokenhearted. But God sees, and he intervenes. In verse 31, it says, Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And when the text says the lord saw that leah was unloved the hebrew hebrew literally means hated and rachel was jealous of her sister she probably resented the fact that she was in the picture at all and jacob had only been tricked into marrying her he had no interest in her she's unloved by jacob and uh but she is loved by god god sees that she's hurting and God cares, uh, just as he cares about those of you who are hurting. You can know that he loves you and that he cares for you today. So the Lord takes up Leah's cause, and Leah begins to have sons for Jacob. And now Rachel isn't having any children, and she's watching Jacob as he holds these babies, and she sees the pride in his eyes as he's teaching them how to walk. And Sheer sheep or whatever they do. I'm pretty sure they didn't throw balls or, you know, no baseball or anything like that. But And so now both women are mis- miserable. So the first essential to overcoming when you're outmatched is to avoid envying and comparing yourself with others. Uh, it's only a mistake. No one wins at the comparison game. Uh, you either come out feeling prideful that you're better than the other person, or feeling discouraged and down because you have kind of fall short. And, you know, I think that for moms, this is something that we can easily fall into. You see other moms, and, you know, their van is clean all the time, even during soccer season, and their kids' socks match, and their kids get all A's, and you kind of console yourself with the fact that you know the principal better, you know, because <laughs> you've been to the principal's office more times with your kid. But uh, when we compare, you, should, you know, we just don't know that other person's story. Or we think they've got a great life, but we don't know what happens in their home. We don't know what's going on inside of them, any of those things. Um, Paul says this in Galatians, in Galatians 6.4. <clears throat> Pretty sure he does. There he does. Each of you should test your own actions. Then you can take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to somebody else. You know, too often we measure how well we're doing by comparing it to, to somebody else's life. When God has given us each unique personality, gifts, strengths, and Paul says that the measure that we're to use then is to test our own actions and take pride in when we're fulfilling our purpose, when we're uh, fulfilling our call and and doing what God's asked of us and given us the gifts to do, then you can take pride. So then the second thing that you'll need to do um, to overcome when you're outmatched is to, to recognize your own strengths and allow God to use those. God's uniquely wired each of us. With gifts, abilities, and strengths, he's given us these opportunities throughout our life to develop those skills. And, um, you know, you may not be as talented or gifted in some area as someone else is. But you have other strengths and other gifts, and you should recognize those and give God thanks for those. Uh, look with me at the next verses in Leah's story, starting in uh, Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, she gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last, my husband will become attached to me, because I've borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. You know, she she finally gets there. It took her a while, but she finally comes to the place where she sees the blessings that God has already given her. She's got four beautiful boys. These are her strength. And even if Jacob never loves her, she's loved by God and she's blessed in so many rich ways uh, through these boys. So recognize your own strength and then rely on the power of God to help you. God is a God of the underdog. You see this all the way through the Bible. You know, there's the David and Goliath story. And Israel often is way outnumbered when they go to battle, and yet God intervenes for them and rescues them. God is a God who rescues us. And whatever you're facing, you're not facing it in your own strength. God is there to help you. He is with you. Uh, He loves you, and he's looking for an opportunity to help you. I want you to look with me at Second Chronicles 16.9, and this is our memory verse this week, so let's read it together. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Second Chronicles 16.9 <clears throat> This last week I... I told you about the death of a good friend of ours and um, from the first church that I served in Comstock, and I officiated his funeral last Monday, and as I was going through the week prior to that, I just felt so under-equipped and uh, inadequate for the task. You know, when I was meeting with the family, the news was trying to get uh, an interview with them because of the whole... Uh, tragedy of it, and um, he had six brothers and sisters that kind of all had their idea how the funeral should go, and and we were hurting, and they were hurting, and his son was in such pain, and it was just a overwhelming task, and I finally at one point told God, you know, I am so not the person that you need for this, and um, I don't know. Uh, how I'm going to get through it, there's this extremely large possibility that I'm going to let a lot of people down. <clears throat> and I knew there was, you know, going to be hundreds of people at the funeral. And But I told God, I didn't choose this. And I'm all that you've got. <laughs> so I need you to help me, to help me get through this. And on um, Sunday night, I was up till like 1.30 in the morning Working on the message, you know, because I want to make sure all six kids get named and mom and dad's. There's quotes from, you know, the whole thing, and I was just kind of uh, trying to make sure it was perfect. And then uh, got up at 4:30 the next morning and to finish it up and practice it so that I'm ready to do my part. And uh, as we were going over to the funeral in Kalamazoo at 9:30 in the morning, Forrest was driving. Thankfully, I just felt so weak. And foggy brained, you know, and you don 't get enough sleep and and uh, just really overwhelmed and um, when we got to the church, when I walked in the door, it was like the power of God came over me, and I felt like I had had ten hours' sleep I was totally refreshed. I was able to begin to you know do the sound checks and comfort people that needed comforting and and um, Pray with the, the brother that was supposed to speak that was falling apart, and all these kinds of things. And God just gave me everything that I needed. And then about a quarter to, um, I was looking at. There's like three to four hundred people there, and I was kind of feeling anxious about that, and worried that I was going to cry myself. And and so, um, and then God remem- reminded me, people are praying for you. And I remembered all the people in this church and that baseline that it said, "I'm going to be praying for you." And I just felt that. I just felt the peace come over me, and it just went, just wonderfully. Um, God got me through it. Got everybody through it. And and I just know that it was God's power and His strength. And and I really just want to thank everybody for the cards and the prayers and the texts that I got that morning that said, you know, I'm praying for you in all the ways that you have lifted for and up this I uh, up this week in a very hard hard week and uh you were the ministers this week and i want to thank you for that it's a blessing in our life um so whatever you're facing if there's something that you're going through right now that you don't feel equipped for or adequate for just rely on god um god is for you he wants to help you Uh, i've experienced it you've experienced it too you just need to be reminded that uh God will never fail you. Hey, he's never failed me yet. There's lots of times I, w- I want to quit, yeah, but he somehow doesn't let me, and, <laughs> and he always sees me through. And he helped Leah by giving her sons, and he helped Rachel as well. Rachel was barren, so um, <clears throat> she's in this competition with Leah, and sh- so she gives Jacob her handmaid as a concubine or a wife, to have sons by, which in their culture, those sons were her sons. And so then uh, Leah comes back with (laughs) her handmaid. And so now uh, her handmaid's having children, and um, it seems like the only one that's having a good time here is Jacob, but uh, (laughs) everyone else is miserable, you know. But finally, we read in chapter 30, verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. So Rachel has this son. She names him Joseph. And God sees her need. He sees our need and he helps us. Then the the fourth thing to do is to trust God with the outcome. In Christ you can overcome, but overcoming doesn't always have the outcome that we were expecting or thought that we would have. Um, We don't know if Jacob ever loved Leah in the way that she longed for. We know that he never loved her the way that he loved Rachel, but through Rachel and Leah and these two concubines, God was creating a family that would become a nation through which the whole earth would be blessed. Jesus was uh, Judah's great, 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 great grandson. And you know, if they could have known what God would do through them and through those children, I think they probably would have had a lot more joy on the journey. You have to trust God to work out his purposes, even when you don't understand it. And most of us, I I don't think most of us struggle with another person that we feel outmatched by, but um, most of the time we feel outmatched by life circumstances or by something that we have on our plate. And the enemy wants us to uh, give up, to not stick with it, you know, tries to convince us that we can't do it and defeat us and discourage us. And you may have a ministry that you feel called to, and the enemy doesn't want you to accomplish that, and he's put up roadblocks. The key takeaway that I want you to come away from this with today is whether you feel outmatched by another person or by a life situation um, that you feel inadequate for. Uh, Here's the takeaway. In Christ, you are never outmatched. When you're in Christ, you are never outmatched. Outmatched. Jesus has promised to be with you. Uh, in 1 John 4, 4, we find this reminder and this promise. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's, let's say that out loud together. Uh, but let's, let's substitute me. Greater, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You might need to tell yourself that a few times this week. God is for you. Jesus is with you. He's promised to work all things together for good in your life. And you can know that even when things don't work out the way that you had hoped they will, God is working things together for his purposes and for your good. In Christ, you can overcome whether you're uh, overwhelmed or downhearted or outmatched. God is with you and he will help you. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we uh, thank you and we praise you for your power, for your son with us, your promises for us. I thank you for every mother here, God. I just pray that you'll help them to know today that whatever they face, uh, you're with them, that you will enable them, that you know every detail of their life, that you love them, and that you'll help them. as they move forward and as they raise their kids and grandkids. God, help us all to know the power of your strength in us and to rely on it. We give you praise this day for every family here, every person, and we ask your blessing on us today as we celebrate the mothers you've given us. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.